Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to be looking at verses 18 through 25, but the real, uh, the whole message is really built on verse 21. Beginning in Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her away to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And she called his name Jesus. I just want to hit on this theme of why Jesus came today. So why don't you just join me in praying. Father, as I begin to work through this verse in the hearing of these dear people, I come with a heart to serve. I come with a heart to say it's my desire for every person here, whether meeting in person or online, that they would have the best Christmas that they can. And I think that begins with understanding what Christmas is about and why Jesus came. And so would you please take the next several minutes here and help make it clear, not only just to help our minds to think through this, but ultimately our hearts would be changed and we would see that this Savior came for my sins. And for those who've said, that's, that's already true of my life, like Madeline, then this would just drive us to worship. And we would just be just exalting our great Savior who came to save us from our sins. It's in his name we pray. Amen. One of my sons, for his classes, is currently reading through some of the classics. And this year he was assigned the book Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Now, he didn't read it all. That's a really a thick book. But as a family, we watched a movie. (laughs) And if you are familiar with this story, uh, it's not one that men will gravitate towards unless they are around Valentine's Day or Mother's Day or their wife's uh, birthday. But as a family, we, we served my wife, I served my son by watching this. And, and it's a story that takes place in the 1800s that really underscores the importance of marrying well. That if you could marry someone in your class or even better, above your class, that would go well for you. It might be a way that you could improve your family name or your security. 
So there's the main character of the story, Elizabeth Bennett, with all of her siblings, with this overbearing mother, outspoken one that is all about trying to matchmake her with someone that's above her, her status. And then there is Mr. Darcy, the arrogant prude born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And the story unfolds, well, these two eventually get together. There is something about this story, isn't, isn't there, where we love to see a, someone from a very modest family, a modest upbringing, being taken care of by someone in a higher, one with all sorts of treasures and all sorts of clout. Perhaps that's why we are driven towards the story of Cinderella as well. We love these stories of a peasant being swept away by a prince that will take care of her and lavish her one blessing after another. If you were to be analytical and say, what does this person bring to this marriage and what does this person bring to this marriage, you'll see that it is not equal at all. There's one with a poor reputation. There's one with a above reproach. There's one that has poverty. There's one that has wealth. There's one that has no prospects. There's another that has hope abounding. There's one that only has a future of gloom, another a future of blessings. One with shabby surroundings, another with palace with servants. You know, Christianity is really about a relationship. In, in the New Testament, Christians are identified as the bride of Christ. And oh, do we marry well. Those of us who have tasted the grace of God, who have been born again, what is it that we bring in this relationship with Jesus? We bring hate and selfishness. He brings love and selflessness. We bring fear and hurt. He brings assurance and wholeness. We bring a past of shame and regret. And he offers a glorious eternal future. During December, what we have done is we've looked at this great gift exchange. And what we've taken a look at is what we bring to the relationship with God and what he in turn brings. Two weeks ago, we learned that we bring anxiety and stress and he brings peace. Last week, we learned that we bring discouragement and depression and he brings hope. Today, we're going to look at why Jesus came. We bring sin, and he brings forgiveness. Why? Why did Jesus come? I don't intend on answering the questions like, why do we have mistletoe, or why do we do Christmas trees, or why do we do candy canes, or, or why do we have Christmas lights? But I just want to get us right back to the very core of the Christmas season, and that is, why, why did Jesus come? When we look at this passage, we see all sorts of answers to other questions, don't we? We see where, where was he born? We could look at chapter 2, verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We could ask the question, when was Jesus born? We could see chapter 2, verse 1, in the days of Herod. We could kind of calculate by pages of history that it would have been between 4 and 6 B.C., How was Jesus born? We can see there in verse 20 of chapter 1 that he was conceived in her from the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the Father. But the question for us really is, why? Why did Jesus come? And we see the answer to that, I think, in verse 8, rather verse 21. 
the angel says to Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Or put it another way, in another place in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 1.15 it says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Or Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Or Jesus said in John 3, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Or John 10, 10, The thief came only to steal and kill and destroy, But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So all I want to do today is look at this verse there in Matthew 1, verse 21, and just look at four different words, and then we're finished, okay? The first word, as we look here at verse 21, you shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. If we want to understand why Jesus came, then I think we have to have a a grasp of what is sin. What is sin? So that's that's the first thing that we're going to look at is sins. One old uh, former president of Dallas Theological Seminary was named John Walford, and he wrote a paper entitled, entitled 33 Words of Sin in the New Testament. He looked at the entire New Testament, And then he looked at all the different words that would identify with sin, and he came up with 33. Now, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I do think there's something worth pointing out here, that it's just not one word sin, but when we understand all these other words, it can give us a fuller understanding of what the Bible means when it says that Jesus came to save us from our sins. One of the meanings of this word sin is missing the mark. It's an an archery term. It means that God has put us here on earth that we might worship him. And as we have been shot out of our lives here, none of us have hit that bullseye. We've all worshipped other things, other people, other desires. We are missing the mark. A second understanding of this word sin is the word transgression, which means to, to step outside of your boundary. When I was in college, I can remember a day in which I was off campus while there were some people that lived in these houses that were college students. Most of them were not. They were ma and pa's living in these houses. And one day I was walking down the sidewalk, and, and you know how a sidewalk comes, and it goes to a 90-degree angle. So I could have come this way, and then could have went that way, and I thought to myself, you know, I'm not at West Point. I don't walk like that. I'm just going to round this thing off, and I'm just going to go right through this guy's yard. Because everyone else did. There was a path that was worn there. And he shot out of his uh, living room and he says, Young man, will you kindly use the sidewalk next time instead of walking on my front yard? I had transgressed. I had walked in an area that was not for me. That's what this word means. It means to break the moral law by turning from the perfect will of God. Another idea of what sin means is, is the failure to listen to what God has. They have an open and flagrant disobedience. Or another concept of sin is just unrighteous, unjust, void of God's approval. 
or rebelling against God. God, this is what you want of my life, but I don't care. And I'm going to do it my way. Ignorance. Ignorance as well as the resulting blindness to spiritual truth. I don't even know what God has to say, and I don't care because I want to live my life my way. But sin is also corruption and iniquity that is subject to God's righteous judgment. I'll give you the last one here. Sin is also means to be defeated or overcome, pointing to the need of the power of God for victory. I've got a few statements under this word sin. The first one is this. We were born into sin. I don't know that I'll leave much for my boys by way of an inheritance, but one thing I regret to have passed down to them is my own sin. And I I received it from my father, who received it from his father, and, and we can trace it all the way back to the first man. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. The psalmist in Psalm 58 verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the wound. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. We have one this morning that's in the womb. And as precious as that little child will be, that child's already a sinner. And when that child comes out, it will announce his or her sinfulness by by placing immediate demands on the doctor, on the nurse, on the mother, and on the father. I'm cold. I'm hungry. I'm scared. Change me now. Serve me. Initially, that sin is stationary. But then they learn how to crawl and talk and walk, and that sin becomes mobile. It's in our nature to sins. The second thing I want you to see, Romans 7 verse 18 tells us, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. First, we have inherited this sin. And second, we sin because that's our nature. We are sinners. Romans 8.8 8 says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And Isaiah 64.6, All our righteous deeds, these good works that, that Madeline spoke about from the baptistry in that video, she realized that her good works were not sufficient. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And our sin, here's a third statement under that, our sin has severe consequences. This week I was reading a big thick book by Millard Erickson called Christian Theology and and he looked at the result of sin through three different levels. The first is how sin affects our relationship with God. It provides a disfavor. We lack God's blessing. It provides guilt like we would see in a court system where we stand guilty before God, thereby we will be punished, which leads to the third thing. It leads to a punishment. We reap what we sow. There are consequences to sin, and it ultimately leads to death. The Bible says the wages, the result of sin, is death. 
And death is in three different ways. There's the physical. Our bodies wear down. Can I get an amen to that? They wear down. Uh, uh, The Bible says, Hebrews 9, verse 27, people are destined to die once and then face the judgment. Secondly, there's a spiritual death where we are cut off from God. In Genesis 2, 17, the story of the first sin says, if you will eat of it, that fruit, you will certainly die, speaking of a spiritual death. And then thirdly, there's an eternal death, a place where we will be forever separated from God's favor, from his blessing, a place of torment referred to as hell. So there is this, there's this judgment of severe consequences with God, but then just play that out as well, right? There's, there's also consequences with yourself. If you are involved in sin, you're enslaved to it. Jesus said in John 8, verse 34, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But sin also just corrupts the way you think, the way you see. You're not sensitive. You're not empathetic to other people. It provides a self-centeredness and a restlessness. But sin also not only affects our relationship with God and with ourself, but it does with others as well. There's a rejection of authority and inability to love. So that's just the first word. Matthew 1, verse 21, I said, in order for us to understand Christmas, we need to understand this concept of sin. But let's look at the second word that we see here in verse 21. For he will save his people from their sins. The reason we celebrate the arrival of Jesus It's because all of us have sin, but it's the second word that we celebrate. It's the idea that he has come to save. What does this word save mean? To deliver, to make whole, to heal. Jesus was born to rescue us from sin. Not only the the presence of it, but the penalty of it as well. This word implies that we cannot save ourselves. The largest lake in the state of Wisconsin is Lake Winnebago. Imagine you are placed there and you can't swim and you have some heavy clothes and you've just been dropped right in the middle of Lake Winnebago. And and you are hopeless. You have no chance of escaping that water. You will drown right there. That's what the Bible would say about our sin. I don't know about you, but growing up, I always seemed to be around some young guys that were just as dumb as I was. <laughs> and I can remember living out in the country, and we would drive up into these old dirt roads, and when it was snowy, that was the best time to be up there, right? And you could tear around, and you could spin around, and, and if there was a lot of snow, it wasn't unusual for one of us to go in the ditch. And we would be stuck. And there wasn't a thing we could do about it. And it would just set in there. We are in the middle of nowhere. And we are lost. And we're never going to get out of here. And how pleasant the sight was to see an old beat-up pickup truck come down the road and rescue us from being stuck. It's the idea of being in death row enclosed with an iron cell as you await your execution. But then, having one open the door for you and saying, I will take 
that execution for you so that you can go free. Jesus is the one who has come out to the lake to save you right in the middle of Lake Winnebago. He is the one that has come to you who has lost and has helped you find your way to God. He was executed for you so that the door could be flung open and you could be free to serve him. Christmas, I think if you really understand Christmas, it delivers a fatal blow to our pride. We needed Jesus to be saved from our sins because we cannot save ourselves. You know, there are certain gifts that when they are given can wound our pride. A mom puts deodorant in her teenage boy's stocking and the boy says to his mom, what are you trying to say? I have body odor? Yes, that's what we're trying to say. A disorganized person gets a daily planner from their friend. And they say, what are you trying to say? My life is full of chaos? Yes, that's exactly what I am trying to say. An obese person opens a card and there's a gift certificate for Weight Watchers. What are you trying to say? I'm overweight? Yes. A newlywed husband wraps up a cookbook for his wife on their first Christmas. And they'll have a Christmas they'll never forget. (laughs) What are you trying to say? I can't cook. Yes. (laughs) At least not as good as my mom. (laughs) A mom visits her young adult daughter in their first apartment, and it is a mess. And so for Christmas, she gets a vacuum cleaner. What are you trying to say? I am messy? Yes. A just, gracious, and loving God sees your sin and how it is ruining you and your eternal future. And he sends his own son to save you. What are you saying? I can't save myself? Sin has imprisoned me? That I'm lost and I need a Savior? Yes. That, that's exactly what Christmas is about. Now, Chad, I wanted to come today, and I just wanted to sing Christmas songs. I, I didn't want to hear about sin. I just, just let me have a warm, fuzzy Sunday morning, the Sunday morning before Christmas. Well, can I just read to you some of the Christmas songs that we sing? How about the first Noah well? You know that one? Listen to what verse 4 says. Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord, who hath made heaven and earth of naught, and with his blood mankind hath bought. Noel, 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 born is the king of Israel. Let me just take the next page to the right. That's number 86. That's old little town of Bethlehem. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us as we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the glad, glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. I'm just going to turn to the next page. 
Hymn number 87, Joy to the World, verse 3. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Let me just do the next one to the right. Hymn number 88. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. And that's the point. Yeah, let's go back and let's sing those songs. And let's understand they knew what Christmas was about. And if we really want to know what Christmas is about, you really want to have a God-honoring Christmas. It's realizing that Jesus came for your sins. So let's conclude then with the last part. I said there was four words. The last are I'm going to put together. And that's his people. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. Does anyone here want to know who his people are? Who are Jesus' kind of people? There are those who know they need a Savior. There are those who know they need a Savior to be born. Let me read to you and during Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, when he would say, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to call sinners. Ernest Hemingway wrote a short little story entitled The Capital of the World. The story depicts a fractured relationship between a a loving father and a rebellious son whose name is Paco. Paco was a very common name at that time, and that son left his father's support, he left his love, and he escaped to get out of way from his father's control. And he runs to the capital city of Spain, Madrid. And his father takes out an ad in the local newspaper where he says this, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven, and I love you. Hemingway then writes, The next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos, all seeking forgiveness. You see, the world is full of people in need of forgiveness and reconciliation. The model for such forgiveness is the most profoundly found in Jesus Christ. The question this morning for us is not so much, am I a sinner or do I need a a savior? The question is, will I be honest with myself, with others, with God, and confess that I do need this savior? This is what Romans 10 verses 9 through 10 say. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is... That's right. You see, Christmas is about the Savior coming to save you 
from your sins. The love is available. The forgiveness is available. Do you want to have a really good Christmas? You want to have a a Christmas that you'll never, ever forget for all of eternity? If you haven't already, seek forgiveness while it can be found. It's not through good works. It's by receiving this gift. You go ahead and bring your, your sin. You bring your brokenness. And in exchange, you get forgiveness. Why don't you pray with me? Father, it's been an absolute delight during these several Sundays now of just thinking about how miserable we are on our own and how much of a blessing it is to receive either peace or hope or today, just forgiveness of sins, life, eternal life. And I pray for all the loved ones here today that maybe when they came in today, they knew that Christmas was about Jesus, but they didn't absolutely know why Jesus had come. I pray that you have used your word now and there is a drawing, there is a conviction of sin that is taking place and there are men, women, boys and girls that are saying, right now I'm ready for that. I want to be forgiven. I want to, as we began this morning's service, I want to hail him as Jesus. I want him to rule all areas of my life, my future, my habits, my time, my words, my attitudes, all of that. But if I am honest, I have not lived that out even close to it. So if what the Bible says is true, Jesus has come for someone like me. I'm his kind of person that needs a Savior. Uh, I'm spiritually sick, I'm spiritually bankrupt, and I need to be forgiven. So, God, would you forgive me? I receive the gift of eternal life that's been placed and offered to me through Jesus' death and through his resurrection. I want to receive that gift right now. I want to be filled with his spirit. I want to live for him, not only today, but all of my days. I suspect there's others here today that, that have drifted a bit. And maybe you're not even sure if you're a Christian or you know you need to come back um, and, and begin to just grow in applying what the Bible says in your life, and you need to confess your sins. I pray that you would do that right now during our, our song of invitation. Lord, may we have a worship-filled Christmas that traces itself back to the real reason that Jesus came, to save us from our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand here as we'll sing this song together. I'll be up here at the front. If there's anything that I can do or help you with, I'd be honored to do that.